All right, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time uh, to gather, to worship, uh, to praise you, to edify each other, and to just receive your grace and to see your glory. We pray that uh, you would bless these sermons, and, uh, and we just thank you for all that you're doing, and we thank you for your love, and amen. Uh, so today, I actually have two half sermons today. Uh, sermon prep didn't quite go how I thought it might. So we've, we have two half sermons. So the first one is a continuation of the series we're currently doing, uh, the series called the GCF Vision. The vision or the GCF Vision is a term we use a lot but haven't had a thorough teaching on, uh, at least not since Greg was teaching RCF. And, uh, and the GCF Vision is that there are certain aspects of Christianity that God wants Christians to rediscover and restore. And, uh, you know, the church restoring truths that God is revealing to it has been going on for a while. Um, one of big examples, the Reformation, but this is no new thing. This has been going on for a while. But in this series, we're focusing on five of them. Number one, having a biblically complete understanding of, experience of, and presentation of the gospel. Number two, being grace-based rather than performance-based. Number three, being reformed and charismatic. Number four, understanding the role, relevance, and responsibilities of the church. And number five, having a victorious eschatology. So I know last week I said that last week would be the last part on the church, and today we were going to move on to eschatology, but I was wrong. Because uh, there's something that I kind of forgot to mention that I figured I should, though it, it doesn't necessarily get its own sermon. It's kind of like an appendix. But today's sermon is called Jesus Gave Shepherds. Uh, and I, I figured I should add this if I want to properly cover GCF's vision of the restoration of the church. So this sermon just has one premise, uh, and that's that God wants churches to have pastors or to have shepherds that know the members personally and are personally known by the members and that give practical oversight to the members and that lead by example. I believe this is a, a biblical premise. This is in the scriptures, and God wants every church to have these. And I'll, we're going to look at why I think that's biblical. Um, so we're going to look at two passages of scripture, and then we're going to break up this premise down into three parts and examine them in detail. So first, let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that's, you know, pretty simple to see how that relates to the premise. Jesus gave shepherds for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body of Christ. But let's also look at First uh, Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of, the Christ, of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
So in this passage, Peter, speaking to elders in the church he's writing to, gives a command to do shepherding. He commands to shepherd the members that they have in their charge. He also says to give oversight, and he tells them to lead by being an example. So we're kind of going to break those down. So there's three aspects of this premise, the premise that, um, that God wants churches to have shepherds who know the members personally and are personally known by the members, who give practical oversight, and who lead by example. So the first aspect of that we're going to look at is personal relationship. Why is personal relationship involved, or is there reason to believe that that's part of a biblical pattern we're supposed to recognize? So first off, I want to examine the word picture of shepherding. So Peter says to shepherd. He's using shepherd as a verb in that sentence. Um, shepherd the flock. But what does a shepherd do? Um, well, I guess one thing I want to say about shepherding, so it's, it's a word picture. We're not actually sheep. It's an analogy. Um, but personal relationship is an inescapable implication of that analogy. I think personal relationship is an inescapable implication of the word picture of shepherding, that people, um, you know, in Jesus and Peter's day would have kind of thought about shepherds. We don't really see shepherds today. You know, we do live in Ohio and we see a bunch of fields, but they mostly have corn and not sheep. Some places have sheep, mostly corn. Anyways, uh, but sh shepherds knew their sheep individually, and shepherds would regularly check up on each of their sheep. This was part of a job of being a shepherd. This is how shepherds operated. And the, uh, Jesus kind of alludes to that in John 10 in verses 14 and 17. Let's look at those two verses real quick. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Now, I might be reading into this, but I think this was just kind of associating with shepherding. If you watch over a flock of sheep day in and day out, you get to know each of the sheep. And I think you kind of had to to be a good shepherd or to be an effective shepherd. It was just kind of part of the job, but we'll get into that. But also, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. So I think this was associated with shepherds, that shepherds knew their sheep, and the sheep knew their shepherd. But not only did shepherds know their sheep, shepherds have to regularly check up on their sheep. Shepherds do more than just make sure that sheep have food and water. Uh, they watch over them, and that requires checking up on them individually and regularly. Shepherds have to check the sheep's skin to make sure that they haven't gotten worms or scabs or signs of disease. And if they do have any of those, the shepherd has to do something about it. But that happens. Shepherds, sheep get infected by insects and other things. And as a shepherd, you have to check up on the sheep to make sure that that's not happening and that if it is, something's done about it. Shepherds have to check sheep's hooves as well to make sure they haven't gotten split or infected. And if they have, the shepherd has to do something about it. 
Shepherds have to check the sheep's wool for flies and ticks and gnats. And if they have those, the shepherd has to do something about it. So shepherding isn't just some job where the shepherd stands far off and isn't involved with the sheep. It's not some distant administrative position. The shepherds know the sheep and they check up on them and, uh, and that was just, that would be associated with that. If, for anyone in Jesus or Peter's day, I think when they hear the word shepherd, they would kind of have that idea. I also want to kind of think about the 99 and the 1 in this context. Let's look at Matthew 18 verses 12 and 13. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine who went astray. So the only thing I kind of want to think about in context of this passage is that, then this might just be my opinion, but I think in order to realize one out of a hundred sheep was missing, you'd probably have to know your sheep and at least somewhat regularly check up on them. I feel like most parents, if you suddenly gave them 100 kids, if they went to the grocery store, would only come back with 95. <laughs> I think in order to realize one out of 100 is missing, you'd probably have to know them, and you'd probably have to be regularly checking up on them. Now, it's possible that maybe the shepherd simply counts to see if there's 100 and realizes there's 99. But I kind of imagine that'd be kind of difficult because I doubt sheep sit still for that long. I think that this idea that shepherds know their sheep and regularly check up on them can even be seen in this idea of the 99 and the 1. So that's one reason why I think it's part of a biblical pattern that shepherds or pastors should have personal relationship with those under their care. But not only that, but this is kind of how we see Jesus operating. Uh, Jesus chose the 12 to be with him and to see what he did and taught. Let's look at Mark 3, verse 14. And Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Jesus was training, you know, these 12 people, but he wanted them to be with him. He wanted them to know him. He wanted to know them. Not only that, but I would also say personal relationship is necessary in order to effectively give oversight or to effectively lead by example. It's hard to give oversight when you don't really know what's going on. If I was a manager of a department, but I didn't know how each worker was doing or what was going on in that department, I probably wouldn't give relevant oversight. I would probably either say things that aren't relevant or fail to give instruction that is relevant because I don't know what's going on. I think personal relationship is a necessary part of giving oversight effectively and of leading by example. It, leading by example is easier if other people know you because they can better see you lead by example.
So those are some reasons I think we should consider of you know, what reason there is to think that personal relationship is meant to be a biblical aspect of shepherding or of pastoring. Next, I want us to think about this idea of oversight. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 that elders should give oversight. So let's think about what that means in context. What is this, what is this oversight over? I think the context implies that it's oversight over the flock or over the members, not merely an administrative oversight or oversight over business affairs. Churches have money, so churches have business affairs. Churches have buildings, so churches have administrative needs. But I think the context of this is oversight over the flock, therefore oversight over the members. Because he says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And I think sometimes we read that and we think this is administrative oversight or oversight over finances or buildings or stuff, but this is oversight over people. This is oversight over the flock. This is oversight over members. So what does oversight entail? Well, the verb that we translate oversight in Greek is a episkopeo, and it can mean to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, or to care for. So how I would interpret that is that elders should know the members in their church, and they should know what's going on in their lives to at least some degree, and they should give biblical guidance and direction as necessary. And that idea fits with Hebrews 13, verse 17. Uh, you know, Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. But in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying that, um, that spiritual leaders in the church are keeping watch over your soul. That implies oversight. That implies practical and personal oversight and guidance. I also want to point out, since we're looking at this passage, I think even in this passage you can see the idea that shepherds should know their members personally and be personally known by their members. Because uh, the idea that they'll give an account for you personally and how well you were doing implies that they know you personally. I think that's part of a biblical pattern. It might not be super explicit, but it's, it's fairly implicit. And it's in the scriptures for us to see. So shepherds should have, uh, they should know their, the members personally and be personally known by the members. They should give practical oversight. And the third aspect I want us to consider is that shepherds, pastors, should lead by example. And again, leading by example is done better when there's personal relationship, when the, the shepherd or the pastor is actually known personally by the members. But let's look at some passages that talk about how shepherds, pastors, elders are to lead by example. Let's look at uh, a verse we just looked at, 1 Peter 5, verse 3. 
not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Let's also look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul was saying, since I imitate Christ, you can imitate me in in some sense, therefore be imitating Christ. But I think the point to that is, one of the reasons God gives leaders in the church is to just have a practical example, because that can be really helpful. Because some of the things in the gospel, especially since the gospel has many paradoxes in it, it can be hard sometimes to imagine how should this be lived out? How should we be loving and firm? How should we pursue justice and mercy at the same time? What should that look like? But God gives leaders so that we can have practical examples. Or that's one of the reasons he gives leaders. And I would also point out that, you know, Jesus taught the 12 by example. He had them watch him, what he was teaching, what he was doing, before he sent them out to teach and to do the things that he was doing. So that, um, I know this is a short sermon, this is really just half a sermon. That is the, the premise, and the premise is just really the point of this sermon, and that's that God wants churches to have pastors or, pastors or shepherds that the members, that know the members personally, and are personally known by the members, and that give practical oversight, and that lead by example. Uh, that being said, I have some practical notes I want to talk about. Uh, in order for this to work, there has to be at least some level of time spent together. You can't really have personal relationship. You can't know someone and be known by them if there's never any time spent together. There has to be somewhat of at least a somewhat recurring time spent together that should happen. And that's necessary for relationship. And that's also necessary for for shepherds to give oversight. Because you can't really know what is going on in a person's life or what they need if you never spend any time with them. If you never listen to them. So there needs to be some level of time spent together, and I would say there also needs to be some level of openness and transparency. Again, openness and transparency are necessary for relationship. You can't be known by someone unless you're willing to be open with them about your life. Uh, and you know, openness and transparency are necessary in both directions. No one can be known by the other unless they're willing to be open about their life. And transparency and openness are also necessary for oversight. So we looked at Hebrews 13, how, um, how the writer of Hebrews says to submit to your leaders because they're watching over your souls and they'll have to give an account. And he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And I think one way to kind of interpret that or one valid way to interpret that is try to make this easy for them. And one way to make it easier for them is to be open and transparent about what's going on in your life, because that makes it easier to give oversight. If I was managing a department, but my employees just refused to tell me what projects they were working on, that would not make my job easy. And the last thing I want to point out uh, in the, as far as practical notes is that there should be a level of submission. 
Again, we just looked at Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. So what does that look like? Um, If there's a leader, if you have a pastor or a shepherd and they're commanding you to do something, which, you know, they probably won't do very often because they're not supposed to be domineering, but if they give a command for you to do something and it's not unbiblical, you should probably do it. And if it is unbiblical, don't do it. Also, if they give advice, you don't have to follow it, but you should at least consider it well. You know, if there's a leader in the church or if you have someone over you and they give advice and you don't even bother to consider it, you just reject it without even taking the time to think about it, that doesn't really seem like uh, you honor that person. But a third thing I really want to point out as it relates to submission is if you have an issue with them, don't just be quiet about it and get bitter. And if you just be quiet about it and you you still have an issue with them after a few days or a week, you're probably going to be getting bitter about it. That's how personal issues work. That's how issues in relationships work. If, so submission doesn't mean be quiet and don't say anything that they won't agree with. That is not what submission means. Jesus told uh, the 12 disciples that the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses, so do what they say, but not what they do. So Jesus, in some sense, told the 12 disciples to submit to the Pharisees. But the, Phar- the disciples outright told the Pharisees when they disagreed with them, at least in the matter of sharing the gospel. Like, hey, y'all are wrong. They were still respectful. But submission doesn't mean just being quiet and not speaking your mind. If you have a, di- a disagreement, say so. And don't If you have an issue, don't just be quiet about it and grow bitter about it. Work it out with that person. So in conclusion, uh, God wants churches to have pastors or shepherds that know the members personally and are personally known by the members and they give practical oversight and that lead by example. And this is one of the things that we as a church are seeking to restore. We believe God wants this to become common. Um... And this is one of the aspects that we think Christians should rediscover and restore. So since we have two sermons, let's close in prayer and then start the next sermon. <laughs> Lord, we thank you uh, for the grace you give us in the church. We thank you that you give us grace through your word and through your spirit and through the church. And that you give us to the church um, to help others, and you give others in the church to help us. We pray that you would help us uh, to live out this pattern in a healthy way and to have shepherds who are involved with us and who we're involved with, and we pray that uh, you would just bless um, our involvement as a church. We thank you for your grace, and amen.